Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware, we have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit, but frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling, a Harry Potter book movie compare and contrast podcast. I'm Katie, and the Delaware Gray Fox in the seat next to me is Ellen. Dude, I know I'm getting closer to 40, but I am not that old yet. No, no I, said, I said Gray Fox, not Silver Fox. I'm not really sure that's all that different. Oh, trust me, it is. If you say so, let's <laughs> just keep rolling into the rolling rehash. Last week, we covered the first half of Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot, and the barely corresponding film scenes, plus a scene that actually corresponds with a later chapter. The jury is still out on whether Harry's code game is either non-existent or perfect. Luckily for him, Cho's conversation game is completely on point. Hermione doesn't approve of putting Quidditch before homework, as per usual. Ron's nerves cause both embarrassment and bloodshed, both of which are exasperated by Fred and George. And maybe don't let Luna be in charge of bringing the steaks to the next Hogwarts barbecue. During episode 142, Creep Dorable, our Potter pondering was... What are your thoughts on the film having Luna tell Harry about the Thestrals instead of Hagrid? Hey guys, Mike Cullen in for the Potter Pondering. Giving my two cents about the difference between letting Hagrid teach them about Thestrals and having Luna do it. I feel like Luna is definitely the type of character that would have like a real connection to Thestrals, and it really makes sense that she would already know about them. I do feel like Harry just like wandering into the Forbidden Forest was a bit weird, like... I get that they don't really enforce the forbidden part of the forbidden forest all that much, but it's not like people just casually walk in there. Like, it's still sketchy AF. And then when I think about how they took that away from Hagrid, Hagrid in the books is awesome. Like, he's good in the movie too, but he's so knowledgeable about mythical creatures. He's so passionate about that sort of stuff. And in the books, this was really a moment for him where he got to, you know, shock some students when they started seeing like the meat just like eat itself and then got to kind of extrapolate on you know what these are and all their cool properties and I find that the movies really did Haggard dirty like not in just in this moment but in a lot of moments especially later in this book spoilers in case you know but when he took all those stunning spells and just kind of shrugged them off like that was another badass moment and again they just kind of like did away with that and I don't know. I feel like Hagrid is way better in the books, and there's a lot of reasons I don't really forgive the movies, but this is definitely one of them as well. Okay, bye. Hi, Ellen and Katie. This is Ashley with this week's Potter Pondering. How do I feel about Luna telling Harry about the Thestrals in the movie as opposed to Hagrid in the books? Well, you know, everything that's changed kind of slightly irks my nerves a little bit more than slightly for others. But this is one that didn't bother me too, too much. Kind of like with Neville and the Gillyweed. This is how the movies, you know, proceeded to tell you that Luna is going to be important in this movie. She's going to be more than just a little background character. She's going to be like that bitch, you hear me? This is like a good introductory to Luna. And it kind of fits in with her character to know about something like this, even if she hadn't been able to see them. It fits for her to be able to introduce him to that. The stuff that really pisses me off when it doesn't make sense. This does. G'day, Ellen. G'day, Katie. It's your favorite Aussie Jackson here with this week's Potter Pondering. So what do I think of the movie showing Luna telling Harry about the Thestrals? Well, I like it, but I don't like it. You see, I don't like the deviation from the book because I like the way Hagrid tries to explain Thestrals to the students. But then again, if they had to do it without Hagrid, I like that Luna did it because it's Luna who first tells Harry she can see them as well. And yeah, it makes sense for her to do it if they wouldn't have Hagrid just makes sense because 
She's the first person who tells him that she can see them as well. Yeah. So it makes sense if you go that direction. Hi, my name is Kristen, and I'm calling in for my first Potter Pondering. In regards to Luna teaching Harry about the theft roles, I'm all about it when it comes to the movies. It was a way for us viewers to get to know Luna outside of the books, for those of us who haven't read them. And who else would be best for that? Luna, the weird girl, who everybody thinks is crazy, while Harry thinks he is crazy for seeing these weird creatures that nobody thinks exists. So I think the movies actually did it justice for the little bit they have put Luna in. And that's my pondering. Hi, this is Tom Heaven. I was hoping that I'm not too late on what my thought on Luna telling Harry about the festivals instead of Hagrid. Well, it kind of really, really bothers me in the fact that we never get a scene where Hermione, Ron, and the others learn about festivals. And so then just shows them flying on them towards the end of the movie when, ironically, all the promotional material had them on brooms. But we'll get to that later, I guess, suppose. Bye. Hi, this is Jessica calling in my Potter Pondering for this week. I am so annoyed at how much they cut Hagrid out of this film, and I hate how much they cut out the magical creatures classes. They could have been so awesome and interesting, and seeing the creatures come to life are one of my favorite parts of the Fantastic Beasts movies. I really wish we could have seen Hagrid more as the teacher, because I think he did a brilliant job, besides maybe the blaster and its groups, but still, those would have been awesome to see. I think Hagrid did a great job and it gave him more to do than just the big oaf who can't spell and smuggle giants into the forest. I don't understand why they left out so many of Luna's actual book scenes and then gave her Hagrid's parts instead. They both should have been in the movies more. I don't hate the scene between Harry and Luna that they did, but I really prefer the way Hagrid presented the festivals for class. We got to learn that he bred and raised them, giving more insight to the fact he did actually know what he was doing as their teacher. I think they missed an awesome opportunity to help us love Hagrid even more than we already did. I don't know what they were thinking. Like, ew, David. Thank you so much for your responses. Our trivia question last week was... What is Jupiter's biggest moon called? Jupiter's biggest moon is called Ganymede, not Callisto. Congratulations goes to Megan Slater. Woohoo! She's back and determined to build up her streak again. This woman takes it seriously too. Oh, she's not messing around. She studies the chapter ahead of time and takes notes of possible trivia questions. Are we sure she's not your clone? I'm almost considering just hiring her to help out with stuff. I mean, I feel like she's just you. If you recall, you literally took notes when we went to do trivia. Well, yeah. How else are you going to get the answers right? <laughs> but if there's anyone to give Mike a run for his money, I think it's Megan. Yeah, we shall see. For now, let's just keep rolling into the second half of Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot, and the not really corresponding film scenes. Chapter 14, Percy and Padfoot, Part 2. Harry and Ron return to the Gryffindor common room about a half hour later, and Hermione coolly asks them how practice was. Ron says it was completely lousy as he sinks into a chair beside her, and her frostiness seems to melt. She tries to console him, saying it was only his first one, but Ron snaps at her, asking who said it was him who made it lousy, wondering if she thought he was bound to be rubbish. Hermione tries to defend herself, but Ron just angrily cuts her off and says he's going to get started on some homework. He stomps upstairs and Hermione turns to Harry to ask if he was lousy. Harry loyally says no, but when Hermione raises her eyebrows, he admits that he could have played better. Neither he nor Ron make much progress with their homework that night. Ron is too distracted by how badly he performed at Quidditch practice, and Harry is having a hard time getting Gryffindors are losers out of his head. 
They spend the entirety of Sunday in the common room buried in their books, while most of their fellow Gryffindors enjoy what may be the last of the sunshine that year. By evening, Harry feels like someone is beating his brain against his skull, and he mutters to Ron that they ought to try getting more homework done during the week. Ron agrees and suggests they ask Hermione if they can have a look at what she's done, but Harry says no, reminding him that she won't let them. They continue working as it gets steadily darker outside, and at half past 11, Hermione wanders over to them to see if they are nearly done. Ron snaps a no, and she looks over his shoulder to check his work, telling him that Jupiter's biggest moon is Ganymede, not Callisto. She also informs him that Eo has the volcanoes, and Ron snarls a thanks at her. She begins to apologize, but Ron is in no mood to be criticized or listen to a sermon. Hermione interrupts him to point out the owl at the nearest window, and asks if it is Hermes. Ron realizes that it is, wondering why Percy is writing to him. He crosses to the window and opens it, letting the owl in to get the letter. He removes it and Hermes flies off immediately, leaving Ron to wonder about the letter addressed to him in Percy's handwriting. Hermione tells him to open it, and he does. He begins to read, and the further down the parchment his eyes travel, the more pronounced the scowl on his face becomes. By the time he finishes it, he looks disgusted and tosses it to Harry and Hermione. They read the fairly long letter together and learn that Percy is proud of his youngest brother for becoming a prefect rather than following in Fred and George's footsteps. In addition to his congratulations, he also advises Ron to stop fraternizing with Harry Potter and mentions that he doesn't think Dumbledore will be in charge at Hogwarts for much longer. He references a Daily Prophet article that will be coming out tomorrow that will give more information about the matter and doubles down on how important it is for Ron to sever ties with Potter, mentioning how he did not come out of his disciplinary hearing looking very good and only got off on a mere technicality. Percy also writes that he thinks Ron might be afraid to, since Potter can be unbalanced and possibly violent, and recommends that he speaks to Dolores Umbridge should he need advice. He also says that Umbridge is not receiving much cooperation from the staff as she tries to make necessary changes at Hogwarts and hints that she will find this easier after next week, again telling him to check the Daily Prophet. He tells Ron that a student willing to help Professor Umbridge may be very well placed for head boyship in a couple of years and closes out the letter apologizing for not being able to see him more over the summer. He explains that he can no longer live under the same roof as their parents while they are mixed up in the dangerous crowd around Dumbledore, but also says that he hopes they will realize how mistaken they are and that he'll be ready to accept a full apology when that day comes. He then again tells him to drop Harry Potter and congratulates him one more time on becoming a prefect. Harry looks up at Ron and tries to joke about the letter, telling him that if he wants to sever ties with him, he swears he won't get violent. Ron asks for the letter back and then tears it into shreds while calling Percy the world's biggest git. He throws the pieces into the fire and tells Harry they need to get back to their homework. Hermione is looking at Ron with a weird expression and then tells them to hand over their essays so she can look them over for them. Ron calls her a lifesaver and Hermione tells him that they need to promise to never leave their homework this late again. Harry thanks her as he passes over his essay and sinks into his armchair and rubs his eyes. It's past midnight and they are the only three left in the common room. The only sound is Hermione's quill scratching out sentences on their essays, and on top of feeling exhausted, Harry also feels sick to his stomach at Percy's words, who he has known for four years and has always gotten along with. He also feels a surge of sympathy for his godfather, who is in a very similar situation since everyone thinks he's a dangerous murderer, though he's been dealing with that for 14 years. He blinks when he sees something in the fire and then figures he must have just imagined it. Hermione passes Ron's essay back to him, along with the conclusion to copy out. Ron thanks her profusely, starting to say something about how if he is ever rude to her again, and Hermione cuts him off to say she'll know he's gone back to normal. 
She begins to tell Harry about the one thing wrong with his essay, but realizes that he is not listening as he slides off his chair and kneels down by the fire. Ron asks why he's down there, and Harry calmly says it's because he just saw Sirius's head in the fire. Hermione doesn't think he did, but gasps when Sirius's face appears in the fire and he smiles, explaining that he thought they'd end up going to bed before everyone else disappeared and that he's been checking every hour. Hermione starts to mention how risky it is, but Sirius cuts her off to tell her that she sounds like Molly and says that it's the only way he could answer Harry's letter without resorting to code. Hermione and Ron both turn and stare at Harry since he never mentioned he wrote to Sirius. Harry says that he forgot and tells Hermione not to look at him like that since there was no way anyone could have gotten secret information out of it. Sirius confirms this and immediately brings up his scar in case they get disturbed. He says that they don't think it's anything to worry about since it's bound to ache more often now that Voldemort is back. Harry asks if he thinks it could have anything to do with Umbridge touching him and Sirius says he doubts it since he's sure she's no Death Eater. Harry calls her foul enough to be one, which Ron and Hermione vehemently nod in agreement at. But Sirius smiles and says that the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters. He does confirm that she is a nasty piece of work, saying they should hear what Remus has to say about her. Harry wonders if Lupin knows Umbridge, and Sirius explains that she's the one who drafted some anti-werewolf legislation that makes it almost impossible for him to get a job. Harry's dislike for the woman deepens, and Hermione wants to know what she has against werewolves. Sirius figures she's scared of them, but also informs them that she loathes part humans in general, and also campaigned to have people rounded up and tagged. He asks what her lessons are like, wondering if she's training them all to kill half-breeds, and Harry tells him that she isn't letting them use magic at all. This actually doesn't seem to surprise Sirius, who says their information from inside the Ministry is that Fudge doesn't want them trained in combat. Harry is shocked and wonders if the Minister thinks that they're forming some sort of wizarding army, and Sirius says that's exactly what he's afraid Dumbledore is doing, to be able to take on the Ministry of Magic. Ron thinks this is the stupidest thing he has ever heard, and Hermione is furious that they aren't being taught properly because Fudge is scared they'll use spells against him. Sirius agrees, telling them that Fudge is becoming more and more paranoid by the day, and it's only a matter of time before Dumbledore is arrested on some trumped-up charge. Harry asks if he knows anything about the article coming out that Percy mentioned in his letter, but Sirius bitterly says he doesn't know since it's just been him and Creature all weekend. Changing the subject, Harry asks about Hagrid, and Sirius informs them that he was supposed to be back by now and no one is sure why he isn't. He tries to console the trio, letting them know that Dumbledore isn't worried so they shouldn't be either and he's sure Hagrid is fine. He was with Madame Maxime, who they have been in touch with, and she said they were separated on their journey, but there is nothing to suggest he isn't fine. They aren't really convinced, so Sirius hastily advises them not to ask too many questions and draw attention to his absence. He also asks for their next Hogsmeade weekend so he can try to sneak out and meet them, but both Harry and Hermione shoot this idea down. Hermione asks if he saw the Daily Prophet, but Sirius isn't worried about it since they're always guessing where he is. Harry tries to explain to him that they don't think it's a guess this time based on something Malfoy said on the train. Sirius seems to get the point, but is also disappointed that they don't want to take the risk. He tells Harry that he's less like James than he thought and makes an excuse to leave when Harry tries to argue. He tells Harry that he'll write a time he can make it back in the fire if they can stand to risk it and disappears with a pop. The movie starts in the Great Hall, focusing on Ron as he takes a huge bite of food while reading a book. Ginny is sitting next to him and looks on in disgust as the camera zooms out, showing an equally disgusted Hermione sitting across from him, asking if he ever stops eating. Through a mouthful, Ron says he's hungry, but they're interrupted when Harry approaches them. They all look at him and Hermione says his name. He asks if he can join them, but before anyone has the chance to say anything, they're distracted by Umbridge's voice asking another professor what they are insinuating. 
They all turn to look, and the camera cuts to Professor McGonagall and Professor Umbridge walking up the stairs. As McGonagall tells Umbridge that she is merely requesting Umbridge conforms to the prescribed disciplinary practices. Harry, Ron, Hermione, and many other students exit the Great Hall to observe the discussion, as Umbridge tells McGonagall that it sounds like she is questioning her authority in her own classroom. She moves up a step to be taller, pointedly calling her Minerva, and McGonagall also moves up a step as she responds with an equally pointed, not at all, Dolores, and explains that it is merely about her medieval methods. In response, Umbridge tells McGonagall that to question her practices is to question the ministry and, by extension, the minister himself. She claims to be a tolerant woman, but declares that disloyalty is the one thing she will not stand for. McGonagall moves back down a step as she incredulously repeats disloyalty. Umbridge moves up another step and addresses the onlooking students, saying that things at Hogwarts are far worse than she feared, and Cornelius will want to take immediate action. So as you guys can hear, mm -hmm. none of this is the same. No. <laughs> we might be able to, like, squeeze the teeniest bit of similarity out of this. Um... Oh, I know. They both take place at Hogwarts. Woo! There ding. we go. <laughs> there's our ding. But there's not a lot in here. So we're no. just going to kind of go through both parts separately and see what happens yeah. as we talk. Maybe we'll be funny. Fingers crossed, you know. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm here for. So this half of the book chapter starts out when Harry and Ron get back from Quidditch practice. They head to the Gryffindor common room and now is the time that they actually should be starting homework. Mm-hmm. But Ron is just completely devastated from his brilliant, and by brilliant, I mean yeesh, performance at Quidditch <laughs> practice. Hermione gives them a very chilly, how is Quidditch practice? Because she's not horrible. She's not horrible, but she also doesn't really give a shit. I think she does care, and she can tell something's wrong. Yeah. But she also thinks that they've been being incredibly irresponsible pretty much most of the week. Tell that to the back of Harry's hand. Well, Ron, for sure, has been being semi-irresponsible. I commend him for putting forth the extra effort to practice mm -hmm. before tryouts. However, he probably should have practiced and done homework. I'm Ron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, as soon as Ron confesses that practice was lousy and just like sinks into a chair, Hermione actually melts completely. She's just like... It's okay. It was just your first practice. But this was the wrong thing to say because Ron's like, who said that I was the one who made it lousy? I mean, your posture. Yeah. Your Kinda general you. demeanor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this general area as she just goes with his whole entire yeah. being. Yeah. But super sensitive Ron assumed that her assumption that it was him who made it lousy meant she was expecting him to suck. I'm also Ron again. So... He's just not handling his failure very well at this no. point. He's got a lot of issues that just need to be unpacked. Yeah, really. that's it's... a big chunk of issues. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Hermione is trying to kind of defend herself. Like, no, that's not what I thought. But Ron's just like, I don't want to hear this. And he just goes, I have homework to do. <laughs> like, now I'm going to do my homework. Right. Meanwhile, Hermione is like, according to my plan. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, because Hermione does genuinely care, as soon as Ron is gone, she turns to Harry and she was like, was he lousy? Mm -hmm. And Harry's like, no. And Hermione just raises her eyebrows, but was he? <laughs> and Harry's just like, well, yeah, okay, fine. He could have been better. I mean. But there was stuff that happened in that practice that was not entirely Ron's fault. Yeah. It kind of started off as Ron's fault, but his brothers definitely made it worse. They do have that tendency sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> Not intentionally. It just kind of happens. Yeah. Yeah. So Ron's mood and the fact that Harry can't get Gryffindors are losers out of his head <laughs> means they don't really get a lot of homework done that night. It is quite the earworm. Yeah. It really Gryffindors is. are losers. Gryffindors are losers. Anyway. But it ends up meaning that they have to spend all of their Sunday just in the common room doing homework. It doesn't even say anything about them taking a break to eat. I assume they have to eat at some point. Like maybe they go get breakfast first. Yeah. 
but they literally spend all day buried in their books while everybody else is outside enjoying the last bit of sunshine they get for that year. Right. Oh, maybe Ron like threatens some first years with taking points away and has them bring stuff up from the Great Hall or something for them. Devious and helpful. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, <laughs> I'm Ron. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, by evening time... Harry feels like somebody's just been bashing his brain against his skull, like just pounding headache, I imagine. And he's just like, we should probably try getting more homework done during the week. Just spitballing here. Just a thought. Ron thinks this is a good idea. Mm -hmm. And he also thinks maybe they should try asking Hermione if she'll take a look at what they've done. And Harry's like, dude, you know, she's not going to help us. We did this to ourselves. Yeah. However, I also feel like... Hermione just loves being proven right. And if they came to her and were like, we fucked up, we're sorry, she'd have been like, all right. I can vouch for that. Yeah. So they just keep on working. They just keep on keeping on. They just keep rolling, if you will. Mm -hmm. And eventually it's getting darker outside. And by the time it's half past 11, and this just blows my mind because now this is Sunday. This is a school night. Yeah. And I could not survive if I stayed up past 11 on a school night. I know kids do a little bit better, but they also need more sleep. Yeah. So maybe their mornings start a little later than mine does. I don't know, but I, it would kill me. I couldn't do it. I don't know. I used to do all-nighters all the time. I still do, you still actually. Do. Yeah. You have yourself trained to function that way. I, I do not function well Yeah. if I don't get a full night's sleep. Sometimes it's actually better if I just don't sleep at all. More power to you. I can't do it. <laughs> but anyway, Hermione wanders over them when it's like half past 11. And he's like, so how are you doing? Almost done? Ron's like, no. <laughs> and is even less amused when she's looking over his shoulder at his work and informs him that Jupiter's biggest moon is Ganymede, not Callisto. Which was our trivia question. It sure was. Mm -hmm. She also tells him that Eo has the volcanoes. And Ron's just like, thanks, Hermione. But not actually feeling the things like it's just a snarl yeah so she starts to apologize and explain she's just trying to help but ron wants nothing to do with any of it he's just like i am not in the mood to be criticized or listen to your sermon and hermione's just like no like look and points out <laughs> the window and there's an owl out there with a letter and she says isn't that hermes ron looks and confirms that it is his brother's owl and it's like why would percy be writing to me and he gets up and opens the window lets hermes in unties the letter and the bird flies off immediately and ron's just looking at it like yeah this is percy's handwriting why is he writing to me like he hasn't talked to percy all summer yeah so he's like why would percy be writing to me and hermione's like well open it and find out doofus <laughs> <laughs> i can see what he's doing though because you just He's so incredulous. Yeah. That, like, what is this? But he does open the letter and starts reading it. And the further down he gets, it's a pretty long letter, too. Mm -hmm. And he keeps going down and down and down. And his face just becomes more and more and more disgusted. When he finishes it, he just throws it at Harry and Hermione. He doesn't say a word. Just throws it at them. I've gotten some of those letters before. So the two of them read it together. And it says... Dear Ron, I have only just heard from no less a person than the Minister for Magic himself, who has it from your new teacher, Professor Umbridge, that you have become a Hogwarts prefect. I was most pleasantly surprised when I heard this news and must firstly offer my congratulations. I must admit that I have always been afraid that you would take what we might call the Fred and George route rather than following in my footsteps. So you can imagine my feelings on hearing you have stopped flouting authority and have decided to shoulder some real responsibility. But I want to give you more than congratulations, Ron. I want to give you some advice, which is why I'm sending this at night rather than by the usual morning post. Hopefully you will be able to read this away from prying eyes and avoid awkward questions. From something the minister let slip when telling me you are now a prefect, I gather that you are still seeing a lot of Harry Potter. I must tell you, Ron, that nothing could put you in danger of losing your badge more than continued fraternization with that boy. 
Yes, I'm sure you are surprised to hear this. No doubt you will say that Potter has always been Dumbledore's favorite. But I feel bound to tell you that Dumbledore may not be in charge at Hogwarts much longer. And the people who count have a very different and probably more accurate view of Potter's behavior. I shall say no more here, but if you look at the Daily Prophet tomorrow, you will get a good idea of the way the wind is blowing and see if you can spot yours truly. Seriously, Ron, you do not want to be tarred with the same brush as Potter. It could be very damaging to your future prospects. And I am talking here about life after school, too. As you must be aware, given that our father escorted him to court, Potter had a disciplinary hearing this summer in front of the whole Wizengamot, and he did not come out of it looking too good. He got off on a mere technicality, if you ask me, and many of the people I've spoken to remain convinced of his guilt. It may be that you are afraid to sever ties with Potter. I know that he can be unbalanced and for all I know violent. But if you have any worries about this or have spotted anything else in Potter's behavior that is troubling to you, I urge you to speak to Dolores Umbridge, a really delightful woman who I know will only be too happy to advise you. This leaves me to my other bit of advice. As I have hinted above, Dumbledore's regime at Hogwarts may soon be over. Your loyalty, Ron, should be not to him, but to the school and the ministry. I am very sorry to hear that so far Professor Umbridge is encountering very little cooperation from the staff as she strives to make those necessary changes within Hogwarts that the ministry so ardently desires, although she should find this easier from next week. Again, see the prophet tomorrow. I shall say only this, a student who shows himself willing to help Professor Umbridge now may be very well placed for head boyship in a couple of years. I'm sorry that I was unable to see more of you over the summer. It pains me to criticize our parents, but I'm afraid I can no longer live under their roof while they remain mixed up with the dangerous crowd around Dumbledore. If you are writing to Mother at any point, you might want to tell her that a certain Sturgis Podmore, who is a great friend of Dumbledore's, has recently been sent to Azkaban for trespass at the Ministry. Perhaps that will open their eyes to the kind of petty criminals with whom they are currently rubbing shoulders. I count myself very lucky to have escaped the stigma of association with such people. The minister really could not be more gracious to me, and I do hope, Ron, that you will not allow family ties to blind you to the misguided nature of our parents' beliefs and actions either. I sincerely hope that in time they will realize how mistaken they were, and I shall, of course, be ready to accept a full apology when that day comes. Please think over what I have said most carefully, particularly the bit about Harry Potter, and congratulations again on becoming a prefect. Your brother... Percy. There is no way you fell asleep during that travesty of a letter. What's going on? I was lulled to sleep by the monotonous tones of Percy fucking Weasley droning on and on. I mean, it may be droned, but it was too infuriating to lull you to sleep. You know, Helen, sometimes you just gotta block it out. <laughs> but what I'm gathering is that TLDR version of this is basically shit's about to go down. Don't put your eggs all in the Potter basket. Basically, yeah. Type of shit. Yeah, gotcha. Basically, yeah. And Harry and Hermione finish reading the letter and are just like, what the <laughs> fuck? Mm -hmm. And Harry tries to make a joke about it. That is because how he what else things, can yeah. you do? Right. And he says, if you want to sever ties with me, I swear I won't get violence. <laughs> Which is funny, but... At the same time. Not really. No. And Ron, who normally would laugh at something like that, is unamused, and he just shreds the letter and throws it in the fire. I mean, that's his brother. It's his brother, and he doesn't even want to discuss it now. He just immediately is like, we need to get back to our homework. Yeah. He just wants to forget about this shit. Mm -hmm. Which is understandable, I think. But it makes Hermione look at him with a strange expression on her face. And I just imagine her thinking, like, I feel so bad for him right now. This really sucks. This is his brother. He's being a douche. I don't really know what to say. I'm just going to offer to look over their essays for him. Mm -hmm. And she does. So in the end, they don't even have to say, Hermione, can you help us? Right. She gives in. And she doesn't even fully, I told you so, she does a little bit. 
Well, she can't just not do it at all. Well, I mean. she's Hermione. Exactly. But Ron calls her a lifesaver, hands it over, and she's like, just promise you're never going to leave your homework this late again. So there's the kind of I told you so. Yeah. And Harry just says thank you and just sinks back into his armchair and like rubs his eyes because head hurts. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of his scar for once. Yeah. There's a lot going on. At this exact moment in his head. So Hermione's just scratching out all of the sentences and fixing things. She's working on Ron's first. Mm -hmm. And it gets to be past midnight and they're the only three left in the common room. On a Sunday. On a Sunday. Mm -hmm. It's late ass night. I am dying. Harry is exhausted as well. I think Harry gets me here. (laughs) But he also just feels sick to his stomach from what Percy wrote. Like even though he was trying to joke about it, that fucking sucks. He's known Percy for four years. They shared a tent at the Quidditch World Cup. Right? Like, this is his best friend's brother. He's, like, almost another brother to him, too. Yeah. He's never had an issue with him before. Not like like this, for sure. Yeah. It also makes him feel more sympathetic to his dog father because this is basically exactly what Sirius has been dealing with just times 14. Yeah. Although, for a good chunk of that, he was, like, in solitude with just the Dementors and... I just realized what I said, and yeah. I really should say, not that Sirius had it better right? <laughs> <laughs> being an Azkaban, just it was different. But funnily enough, as Harry is thinking about this sympathy for his dog father, he thinks he sees his dog father in the fire and just blinks. And he's like, no, it has to be just because I was thinking about him. Right. And he like rubs his eyes again and... At this point, Hermione had finished correcting Ron's essay and hands it back to him along with the conclusion that she wrote out for him to copy over. And Ron is just over there like, thank you so much if I'm ever rude to you again. And Hermione says, then I'll know you've gone back to normal. Which we heard previously in the movie, just not at this part. We heard that a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, it was very much the same line, but kind of a different delivery. Yeah. Not necessarily delivery, but different package well it's funny because in the movie she offered to do the introduction and in the book she did the conclusion oh i take it back not a ding at all no dings no dings anyway she begins to tell harry that he actually had one mistake on his essay he accidentally said that europa was covered in mice instead of ice it's like i think you miss herp <laughs> but realizes pretty quickly that he's not listening at all because he's gotten down on his hands and knees and is actually inspecting the fireplace at this point mm-hmm Ron's like, what are you doing down there? And Harry's like, I just saw Sirius's head in the fire. Mm, Boy, I think you need some sleep. He's not really phased by it because it's not the first time that this has happened. True. They've communicated in the fire before. So it's entirely possible this can be what is happening. But Hermione's just like, there is no way Sirius is going to take that risk right now. And then Sirius's head pops back in the fireplace. And she's like, Sirius, you're taking this risk right now. (laughs) Remind me again, Hermione, what was pulling the carriages? Right? Just saying. She actually does try to tell him how risky it is when he says he's been popping in the fire every hour till everybody has gone. And he was worried that they were going to go to bed before everyone was. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, dude, you shouldn't be doing this. And he's just like, you sound like Molly. Risky, risky, risky. He's like, it's the only way I could answer Harry's letter without resorting to code. And then Hermione and Ron are like, you wrote Sirius a letter? You didn't say you wrote Sirius a letter. He's just like, I forgot. But it is actually a legit he forgot because all of this happened right before Cho Chang totally flirted with him. There's a lot going on. Yeah. At that time. Yeah. So he legitimately forgot. For sure. That he had written and sent this letter. Mm Mm-hmm. In the movie, he barely sent the goddamn letter. Right. Like, he sent a letter, but it said, fuck all. Definitely not what the book had. No. And he didn't forget he sent it either. But mm-hmm. but anyway, so he says he forgot, and he's saying, don't look at me like that, Hermione. I didn't give anything away. Nobody could have gotten secret information out of it. Right, Sirius? And Sirius is like, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> but he goes on to immediately bring up the actual issue of why Harry wrote the letter in the book, anyway. Mm-hmm. Bringing up the topic topic of his scar hurting because he doesn't know how much time they have and this is the pressing matter oh yeah get to the important shit right away yeah for sure and he says that he doesn't think that it's something that he has to worry about since it ached all the time when voldemort was getting stronger and now that he's back it's bound to hurt more mm-hmm. and harry wants to know if he thinks it could have anything to do with umbridge touching him and sirius is like i doubt that 
because I am positive she is not a murder muncher. No, but she is a twat. She is definitely a twat. And Harry says that. Yeah. And Ron and Hermione are like, she's totally a twat. This is a Pepto bitch ma. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Sirius just smiles because he also thinks that she is a twat. Mm-hmm. But he then goes on to say that the world isn't split into good people and twats. I mean, murder munchers. Exactly. Same thing. Kinda. But he definitely thinks she's a twat and says that they should hear what Remus has to say about her. And Harry's just like, oh, does he know her? Yeah, but he calls her a cunt. <laughs> In a manner of speaking. He doesn't actually know her. More like knows of her because mm-hmm. she is the Pepto bitch mall cunt who drafted the anti-werewolf legislation that makes it basically impossible for him to find a job. And Harry thinks back to how Lupin looks a little bit shabbier this year than usual mm-hmm. and is like that fucking cunt. Yeah. There's just no depths to which she will not sink. Oh, it gets better, too, Mm because Hermione asks what she has against werewolves. And Sirius says she's probably scared of them, but also that she just loathes part humans to begin with. Yeah. She also campaigned to have all of the mer people rounded up and tagged. Because that's not vomit-inducing at all. It is. It is actually vomit-inducing. I noticed. just nearly vomited. I noticed. See, I was being sarcastic. I wasn't. (laughs) Sirius wonders if her lessons involve training them all to kill half-breeds. And Harry's like, actually, she's not letting us use magic at all. What a shocker. Right. This doesn't actually end up shocking Sirius either, who is the one who made the joke about training them to kill half-breeds. But in reality, he knows that their information from inside the ministry is that Fudge doesn't even want them trained in combat yeah and harry's like trained in combat does the minister think we're forming some sort of wizarding army pretty much sirius says that's exactly what he thinks the dumbledore is going to do because he thinks she's just not going to stop at anything to take over at the ministry because we all know that's what dumbledore has always wanted Mm -hmm. the paranoia is strong with this man it is so strong with this man And even Ron thinks that this is the stupidest thing he's ever heard, comparing it to the shit he's heard Luna Lovegood say. That's pretty cray. That's not just cray. That's cray cray. That's cray cray in the hey hey. Yeah. And then, of course, Hermione is absolutely furious to learn that she's not being properly prepared for her exams because Fudge is scared they're going to use the spells against him. Well, if there's one thing you do to piss off Hermione, it's fuck with her education. So Yeah. Yeah. Or her friends. Well, them too. But but definitely her education. Definitely education, yeah. Sirius agrees that it's stupid, that it's infuriating, that Fudge is becoming more and more paranoid by the day. Mm -hmm. And tells him that it's really only a matter of time before he tries to get Dumbledore arrested on some made-up charge. I mean, I'm surprised it hasn't happened already. Give it time. Well, I don't know. Harry brings up the article that Percy mentioned wondering Mm -hmm. if Sirius knows anything about it and he doesn't and he bitterly mentions how it's just been him and Creature all weekend he hasn't even gotten to talk to any order members so Harry's like let's change the subject yeah new topic what about Hagrid know anything about Hagrid yeah so hey we're maybe gonna get to the bottom of this except no we're not because Sirius is like well he was supposed to be back by now but Mm -hmm. no one's sure why he's not and it's not like he's easy to miss right If he came back, you'd know, so. And he had been traveling with Madame Maxime, and they have spoken to her, and all they've gotten is they got separated on their journey. But there's nothing to suggest he's in any kind of danger or anything's wrong or anything at all, and Sirius is like, I'm really just trying to, now I see the look on your faces, and you look really worried, and I wasn't trying to make you more worried. I'm sure he's fine. It's all fine. We'll see him soon. Maybe don't ask a lot of questions, though. We don't want to draw attention to his absence. I'm not going to lie, like, all of that is just, I'm planning Hagrid's funeral at that moment right. in my head. Like, like, oh, God. Like, you're How not helping. How do you get a coffin that big? <laughs> we'll just have to chop down a redwood and hollow it out. Something. Something. I don't want to think about this anymore. Moving on. So Sirius, also trying to change the subject, mm-hmm. asks for their next Hogsmeade weekend so he can try to sneak out and meet up with them. And Harry and Hermione are both like, no. Bad call. Bad Bad call. call. No, 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 Mm -mm. no, no, no. Hermione says, did you see the Daily Prophet? And Sirius is like, oh, that's nothing. They're always trying to guess where I am. This is nothing. And Harry's Uh, just like, I don't think this is nothing. Like, based on a comment that Nazi von Douchebag II made on the train, I think they know. Yeah, maybe 
let's take this seriously this time, guy. Sirius doesn't want to take it seriously. But he does seem to get the point. It just expresses his disappointment that they don't want to take the risk. Actually, Sirius kind of acts like a total bitch in this moment. He really does. He's like a petulant child who's just like, you're less like James than I thought. James would have loved to do this. The risk would have been what made it fun for him. And then he starts to make an excuse about Creature coming down the stairs and he's got to go and says, I'll send you a time where I can get in the fire again if you want to risk it. Risk it for a biscuit. And then just pops out of the fire. And that's where he leaves it. Sure. Super, super, super adult serious. Mm-hmm. Quite mature. Yes. Yes. But basically none of this happens in the movie. Aside from a similar scene with Sirius that happens a little later. So we're not even going to be talking about that now. Yeah, we'll touch on that when we get to it. Mm-hmm. This did not line up well. No, not at all. But I mean, we had to put this part somewhere and where the fuck else are you going to put it? And so here we go. Instead, here we are in the Great Hall. We see Ginny sitting next to Ron and side-eyeing him as he chomps down on a big old sausage. Like, big old sausage. Big old sausage. You know what I'm saying? Like it was a big old sausage. It was a big fucking sausage. It was an intimidating sausage. <laughs> it was juicy and thick looking. And let's keep going. Yeah, I was thinking about something else. Sorry about that. Cue snarky comment from Hermione about Ron always eating, and his snarky response back that he's hungry. <laughs> so funny. But here's the thing: there is food on the goddamn tables. A lot of it, in fact. Almost as though they were in a place where students gather during certain predetermined times when food is typically served in order to help keep the students of the school well-fed and able to keep up their strength during their lessons. Holy shit. Wait. It's fucking breakfast. What? It's breakfast. Dare Ron be hungry at breakfast? How dare he? How dare he sup in the Great Hall? What? There is literally a rack of toast the length of Fred Wolfa's vagina in front of them. Are we just supposed to ignore that? No, he is supposed to spelunk that toast. I'm saying, ugh, look. I am all for making jokes about Ron eating at weird times or eating more than he could possibly fit into his body without some sort of hollowed out appendage. But this is just stupid. I mean, at least he's sitting there reading an owl study guide while he eats. You know, when is Hermione going to bring that up? No, of course not. She's going to be like, do you ever stop eating? And I know this is a really weird nitpick, but it pisses me off so much because it's like, what the fuck is he supposed to do? I honestly think that if they had gone the route of Hermione being concerned, he was about to get that big old juicy sausage on the book. It would have made more sense. You know what? I'd have gone with that too. Sure. But no. Sure. Fine. I'll take that. Fine. But no. She's. Do you ever stop eat? It's fucking breakfast. He's supposed to eat at breakfast. You'd think. <sighs> However, I digress. I just got to walk away from this one because before Ron can make any of the above points himself, Harry comes up behind Hermione with his sad puppy eyes because he realized he done pissed all over their feelings and now he feels bad about it. And he asks if he can join them and Hermione kind of gives him a look that says like, of course you can, you stupid plum. But before she can actually vocalize that, a commotion that sounds an awful lot like a dentist scraping his drill over a chalkboard can be heard coming from the castle foyer. Oh. Wonder what that is. What's interesting about this is, yes, in the books, Harry was being a little bit caps lock Harry towards them, mm -hmm. but never to the point where he had to ask permission to join them. Yeah. It was always just... Of course. Like, he never had to give him, like, the puppy dog eyes no. to see if he could sit at their table. They like, totally understood where he was coming from, and it never got bad enough yeah. towards them. Like, he'd snap at them yeah. now and then, but not to the point where he felt like they wouldn't want him to sit with them. Right? At no point was he in danger of Hermione turning Gretchen Wieners and being like, right. you can't sit with us! No, that wasn't going to happen. So anyway, pretty much everyone in the vicinity stops what they're doing, which, side note, for the most part, is eating fucking breakfast. Because everybody in the Great Hall is eating because it's breakfast time. 
not just Ron. Just keep rolling. <sighs> and slowly they start trickling into the foyer to see what all the hullabaloo is about. We join them to see McGonagall and Umbridge engaged in a low-key cat fight. You see what I did there? Because McGonagall's a cat <laughs> and Umbridge is all about cats and shit. Yeah, so that's a thing. They take turns politely barbing at each other while playing musical steps, fighting over who literally has the high ground. McGonagall kindly requests that Bitch Mall quit scarring her students, since, of course, that's the job of the many death traps already in place throughout the castle and on the Quidditch field. Well, yeah. Duh. We already have things doing that. Umbridge, like, fuck off. And those can all be counted as accidents. Like, this is too blatant. You can't do this. Exactly. But Umbridge just takes another step up as she innocently questions if McGonagall is trying to tell her how to run her own goddamn classroom, punctuating the inquiry by referring to McGonagall by her first name. Claws are about to come out. Catfight's getting a little less low-key. Right? McGonagall says, of course not, also referring to the other woman by her first name, while taking another step up and continuing on to say what she is questioning is her batshit crazy-ass corporal punishment. Again, if not Moody couldn't do a little harmless transfiguration, harmfully transfiguring her students' hands to look like fresh ground beef is definitely out of the question. You would think. You would think, right? The one thing that's bothering me about mm. this before the thing that we'll the get one to. Thing? That yeah. <laughs> quite a few things bother me about this. The biggest thing right here is McGonagall is a fucking professional. There is absolutely no way she would have addressed this where there could be possible student witnesses. True. I just have to say that right now. Yeah. Meanwhile, Twadio Cuntenstein then pulls out the ministry card and tells Minnie that if she disagrees with her ways, then that means she is obviously a traitor who hates the government. Which, while it's a huge leap to make, is really pretty par for the course with this bitch. Yeah, that attracts. Exactly. She refers to herself as a tolerant woman. Let me repeat that. She refers to herself as a tolerant woman. <laughs> Which, let's face it, the only way this could be even more of a false statement would be if it were coming from, I don't know, Sirius's twat bagel mother. Which, Harry said she is nearly as nice yeah. as his twat bagel mother. Exactly. But she continues on claiming that the only thing that she can stand is disloyalty. Really? Is that the only thing you can't stand? Is it? Or... Or is it more like just the tip of the prejudiceberg? Prejudiceberg, I see what you did there. Yeah, see, it was, it was a thing, yeah. So McGonagall, thinking the same goddamn thing, seems to be knocked back by the dump truck of crazy that Pepto Bitchmall just jackknifed into her and incredulously takes a step down. Okay, this is the part that I cannot stand. We have differing opinions here, yes. I get your perspective on it, that she seems incredulous about it. Mm -hmm. I just hate the direction at this part. I think it makes it look like McGonagall just backed off. I think it makes it look like she handed power up to Umbridge by allowing her to be taller than her by taking that step down on the step. It is a visual that I dislike so much, especially since they made it that point that Umbridge steps up on a step and McGonagall steps up next to her and makes herself taller. Umbridge steps up again and then McGonagall steps down. McGonagall would not bow to Umbridge. She knows how to fight the fight, but she would not bow to that Pepto bitch mall. Counterpoint, like I said, my interpretation of it is more like after Pepto Bitchmall like goes on this little rant, she basically thinks there is no fighting this crazy right now. She's hitting a wall of crazy. She's not going to get past it. She needs to back off and regroup. It wasn't a retreat. I get the back off thing. It's the fact that they had him on the stairs and she literally went below her. It's just the visual of it for me. I get that. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I get what you're saying. I just still always took it more as like a, oh, you're that crazy. Yeah, but Book oh, McGonagall shit. never would have done that, ever. Book McGonagall challenged her in the most polite way every chance she could get. Sometimes not even in the polite way. Well, and that's the thing is McGonagall, Book McGonagall wouldn't have gotten into this to begin with. True. So really, it's a little bit of a moot point when you think about it. So when I say I can't stand this part, I just mean this whole scene. 
Yeah, I got that. Aside from getting to listen to McGonagall's accent, that's right. definitely. I do kind of love the way she says Dolores. Yes. Odds. Moving back to the actual scene at hand, Umbridge continues her ascension up the steps, but at this point starts addressing the gathered mass in front of her instead of just McGonagall. She says that things are way worse than she thought, and it's time to bust out the motherfucking big guns. Get ready, dragon fuckers. Shit is about to go ape. And the closest that this comes to corresponding to the book chapter is that, like Percy's letter, it hints at the ape shit approaching. Yeah, that's it. Very, very, very non-correspondy. Aside from the fact that we are going to get to the serious scene. True. However, not yet. Not yet. And this will bring us to the end of the book and movie section. And we actually have a new slash returning actor to talk about. Since we get to see, as we mentioned, Maggie Smith in all her glory. Coming back as Minerva McGonagall. And like I was saying, I think my issue with this scene was a direction issue, not a Maggie Smith issue. Yeah. I think she delivered everything amazingly. I think even her tone when she said disloyalty mm-hmm. was still perfect. My one issue was with that stupid visual of them having her go beneath Dolores. I just don't think McGonagall should ever be portrayed as being beneath Dolores. Yeah. Fucking umbrage. But... Everything in the way that she delivered, like, disloyalty. Like, yeah. whereas her visuals, her actual actions stated lowering herself, backing off, like, giving in almost a little bit, I think, just visually speaking. Yeah. Her voice still had the proper sass. So yeah. I think that they just thought this would be a really cool shot. And they didn't think about the implications of the visual dynamic that it would create. And that's what I am nitpicking here. I realize I'm nitpicking. I just hate it. I don't think that it's very McGonagall. And I think that they had the perfect McGonagall and they did not let her act as the perfect McGonagall. They just let her speak as the perfect McGonagall in this particular scene. I'm sorry. Did you miss the whole thing about 20 minutes ago where I went off on a rant about them eating breakfast for fuck's sake? We're here to nitpick, Ellen. (laughs) It's kind of what we do. Here to chew gum and nitpick and I'm all out of gum. (laughs) Exactly. But back on the point of Maggie Smith, yes, Queen, just, dear God. I I love love, her so much. I love her so much. And yeah, I agree. I feel it was a direction issue. The step down was a direction that she was given, not so much something that, because she knows McGonagall. She knows McGonagall inside and out. However, I think she was influenced poorly by, ew, David. Ew, David. Mm Mm-hmm. And... To the bereavement of us all, really. But I gotta say, up until that point, though, she was on fire. And I loved it. And like I said, even the way she delivered the line of disloyalty, still fire. Mm Mm-hmm. I honestly am just taking so much issue with the way they directed that scene. And I get what you're saying. Like I said, I totally understand it for sure. And we have a couple more McGonagall moments that are amazing. So we'll end up talking a little bit more about her then. Yes, definitely. In the meantime, let's just keep rolling into this week's Potter Pondering, which is, how did you take McGonagall's step down from Dolores? Let us know if you saw it the way I saw it and got infuriated by it, or if you found it reasonable and understandable the way Katie perceived it. I'm not usually the understanding one. (laughs) Again, logical one, and I'm just like infuriated. That's not McGonagall. I mean, I was infuriated about breakfast, so we all have our We have our things, yeah. yeah. But find the post on our Facebook page and share your thoughts or call us at 216-526-6792 and leave your response as a voicemail. Make sure you start off telling us your name and then go into your answer. Don't forget, you can also stitch your response on TikTok. If you don't feel like doing that, go ahead and watch the video and give us a like, though. Yeah. We really look forward to reading, hearing, and seeing your responses. This will bring us to our sorting hat story. Which is from my husband, Len Ganley. He writes, I am a muggle. As far as Hogwarts houses go, I most identify with Ravenclaw. Though, to be honest, I never eagerly awaited my letter from Hogwarts because I didn't know there was a place called Hogwarts. I didn't know that it sent letters to lucky little witches and wizards, and I most certainly did not know that magic was real. 
My wand, had they given me a wand, would have been made of larch wood with a unicorn hair core, 13 and a half inches, with a slightly springy flexibility. But I have no idea what any of that means, including the bit about larch wood, because I'm a muggle. But my wife is a witch. Under normal circumstances with regards to my muggle world, this would be grounds for an argument. But since I'm no longer living in only a muggle world, I feel I'm safe mentioning it. Ellen was my gateway into the brilliant, magical, mysterious, maniac world. Which of the movies had I seen? Uh, how many are there? Oh, there's way more than two? So, we watched the movies. Which of the books had I read? Well, I'm more of a Douglas Adams fan. So, we spent the next several dozen road trips listening to the diverse yet dulcet dialects of Jim Dale as he read his way through seven books and literally thousands of various voices. Why, yes, I do like alliteration. Why do you ask? Finally came our trip to the hallowed mecca that is the wizarding world of Harry Potter in Orlando, Florida. It's one thing to tell a muggle that you're a witch and to let him read a spell book or two. It's completely another to walk them down the freaking middle of Diagon freaking alley. It was there that I got it with a capital G. Watching not just kids, not just families, but Everyone around me sucked into the magic of the place. This isn't a book series. It's not a web page that finds clever ways of telling you what you already know about yourself. It's a community. The magic of Harry Potter is how it springs off the pages and spills over into the real world. It's not just a theme park, as cool as hell as that is, but it's the conventions and the cosplay and the trivia nights. It's the online forums where fans will still debate over which Weasley twin was hotter, which is ridiculous because it's totally George. It's watching the Just Keep Rolling podcast blossom into a family of witches and wizards, all of whom bring their own magic. So, my wife is a witch, and I couldn't be happier she dragged this muggle along with her on such a crazy epic adventure. Oh, oh my god. I just figured out who Jacob and Queenie remind me of. Nerd. Shut up. <laughs> I love my husband so much. Much better than what my husband would write. It would just be like, I'm Steve. I'm Hagrid. The end. I'm pretty sure we have his somewhere too, and I'm going to have you reread it. I think I just did, but okay. Well, he's got to get his own post. Mm. That's why I wanted to do this, so I can make Lena post too. But anyway... Thank you so much for writing me the Sorting Hat story so that I could share it with our amazing keepers. Because you're so right. This really has blossomed into an amazing family and our own amazing community. And we're getting more and more people calling in Potter Ponderings mm -hmm. and becoming patrons. And we just keep getting to grow our family. Leaving comments. Oh my God, you guys are incredible. And you really are the best part about doing this. So please keep it up and we'll keep it up. Definitely. And make sure to share your Sorting Hat story with us, too, because we want to hear from everybody. You can email it to us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com. Let us know your house, wand, Patronus, how you got into Harry Potter, and anything else that you might want to share with us. Or you can message it to us over social media. Mm-hmm. This week's trivia question is, what are the different wizarding grade letters and what do they stand for? The first one who responds with the correct answer and the code word, hashtag, not ABC, will get a sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us through iTunes or Facebook. Make sure to email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did, and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. Following us on Podbean at justkeeprolling.podbean.com will get you the episode as early as possible and give you a leg up in answering the trivia question. Make sure to check out our website at justkeeprolling.com and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you would like to help us continue creating more content, you can support us as a patron and get extra perks on patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. As always, any support you can give is greatly appreciated. So by the time that he actually hears this, this will be like almost a week late, but mm -hmm. we do want to take a moment to wish one of our patrons a very happy birthday. Yes. Happy birthday to Max Nash. Or as we lovingly call him, my DPBB, <laughs> which is a nickname that he actually gave himself. 
it happened from a Cards Against Humanities game that I'm not going to repeat what it stands for because it is just that mean and I felt horrible playing the card. Mm -hmm. But he is now my dpbb <laughs> we all played some rough cards on that hand but you know what he took it in stride and he still loves us and we still love him and so we have to say happy birthday to you max today that we're recording this is actually his official birthday yes but he won't hear this for a while but that's okay we'll still love him then too <laughs> It still applies. He knows we wished him in the chat, and he knows that we're thinking it now on exactly. his actual birthday. So happy birthday, Max. We love you. Mm-hmm. Mwah. Mwah. And join us next week when we talk about the first half of Chapter 15, the Hogwarts High Inquisitor, and the kind of corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just, just keep, keep rolling. rolling.